the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello and welcome to today's episode of The Situation Report. This is the show where we give you the information you need to navigate an ever-changing culture. My name is Jeremy Stalnaker. I am your host and very thankful to be with you today to discuss a very, very important topic, one that is impacting our culture uh, broadly and our culture individually in our homes, in our communities, whether we know it or not. I think most of us are aware of this. But today we're going to discuss the First Amendment. This is, uh, again, so central to really our lives, how we communicate with one another, how we are perceived by others. We're living in a time where I think there's more confusion around the First Amendment than there is clarity. And so I'm very grateful to have on an expert in this field, someone who has defended the First Amendment and free speech all the way up to the Supreme Court. Very grateful today to have on my special guest, Ron Coleman. Ron, if you are not familiar with him, is an American lawyer and journalist who is an expert on the First Amendment and intellectual property rights, uh, especially pertaining to the Internet, which we'll talk about a little bit today. He's known for his advocacy of not only free speech, but of religious liberty. And this is uh, something that I am very interested in. Um, In fact, I had a a talk this last week, and (laughs) I said to the group that was there, with all of the things going on in the world, the thing I care about the most is the right to worship as uh, I see fit and to follow what I believe God wants us to do. So religious liberty, very important. He is also the host of the Coleman Nation podcast. Ron, thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate your expertise and coming on with us. My pleasure. My pleasure. So this is a huge issue and um, I'm just going to jump in, but let's let's see where this goes. Please help us understand this. Uh, We hear a lot about the First Amendment and I think Americans are largely constitutionally illiterate. So uh, we hear about the First Amendment, we talk about the First Amendment, we fight about the First Amendment, but I think most of us are pretty confused. Can you, just starting this out, can you give us a primer on what it is and maybe also what it is not? There's a lot of confusion about both. Okay, I hope I can help clear that up. First Amendment has uh, a lot of important rights packed into it. One is the freedom of religion. Yes. One is the freedom of speech. Uh, There's the freedom of assembly. And a lot of rights that are premised on those general principles, such as the freedom of association, Mm. are, and the right to, to petition the government, all found there. So... Freedom of speech, remember that when the Constitution was first passed, it only was, the, the Bill of Rights was only meant as a limitation of what the federal government yeah. could do. Right. And what subsequently happened was uh, the 14th Amendment was passed after the Civil War, and although it took a while for judges to, or rather for the Supreme Court to basically understand I think they understood it, but to, to, to acknowledge what it was really meant to do, 
not 50, not 100 years later, but a good 50, 75 years later, during the civil rights movement, we finally reached the point where it was understood that the 14th Amendment was meant to apply the rights and privileges, or at least the due process of law, mm. to people who... I'm sorry, to, to state governments. So right. no government and, and state governments for this purpose is this purpose also means subdivisions of state government. So government, what does it mean? The government, the government in the United States, the government cannot interfere with your right to free speech, your freedom to worship, your freedom to associate, your freedom to gather and protest, except to the extent of let's say two broad limitations. One of them is reasonable time, place, and manner restrictions. Very dicey exception, but one that is understandable because you don't have the right to say what you want, where you want, when you want all the time. And the police power of the state. Mm. Uh, You won't find any reference to the police power of the state in the Constitution, but everyone understands that states have to be able to govern. Right. And basically, under the rubric of police power, if there's an emergency, and that's what we saw in 2019 and 2020, if a state declares an emergency, the Constitution does not require the same level of scrutiny about their actions as it otherwise would. Yeah. So that is the answer. Now, there is a cultural perception of the First Amendment, and I think this is where you spend a lot of your time, <laughs> is dealing with how culture feels about the First Amendment and thinks about the First Amendment and defending it in a cultural setting. Um, wh- what, do you, what do you see when you look at this culturally? What are the areas that it's misunderstood or um, the areas that right now, it's almost every day, right, where someone is saying, well, you don't have the right to do that, or the federal government can do this. Your rights are unimportant. <laughs> I mean, churches, churches shutting down, churches not having the opportunity to gather. These are all issues that we're dealing with culturally. What, what is your view of, of the cultural understanding of the First Amendment right now? So let's first talk about what I think is more of, an, of, of, a, of a relevant issue in 2021. It, it, we had, a, we had a problem in 2019 and 2020. It's not as big of a problem now with freedom of religion. Sure. But on the freedom of speech piece, there is a lot of misunderstanding. And, and part of the reason is when we use the word censorship yes. or we use the term freedom of speech, we usually associate it, and understandably, with the First Amendment. But censorship can be done and the freedom of speech can be curtailed by non-governmental entities as well. The First Amendment, according to just about everyone's view, can only restrict what governments do. That doesn't mean, however, that when Facebook or Twitter or YouTube Mm. or any of the networks censor or ban people that they're not engaging in censorship or that they're not engaging in a restriction of free speech. They are. But according to the law as it stands now, there's nothing in the Constitution that prevents them from doing that. Mm. It's not a First Amendment violation. The big misunderstanding, I think, among conservatives in particular, is that 
some people think, and a lot of people think, that that's the end of the inquiry, or should be the end of the inquiry. The fact that the Constitution doesn't prohibit the most dominant and prevalent forms or forums for public speech from censoring speech doesn't mean it's okay. It doesn't mean we shouldn't care. Right. It just means that the First Amendment has nothing to say about it, according right. to most views. Now, freedom of religion was an issue also because what we had in 2019 was a lot of lockdown orders, which applied across the board. And as states began to pull back from them, it was one thing to say that we're going to tell churches and synagogues and mosques that they can't open during uh, during an emergency, even if that emergency is never declared by the legislature, hmm. uh, but is declared by governors almost universally acting unilaterally, that's a problem. But it's an even bigger problem when states say, as California did and many other states, including New York, hmm. okay, we're going to begin to reopen. Right. Shopping malls can reopen. Right. Casinos can reopen. Right. Um, but not churches and synagogues because they're not right. essential. Right. The Constitution says they are essential. Right. And we were among those who uh, succeeded in the Supreme Court in getting that court to rule. And when I say we, I mean uh, Harmi Dillon, my partner and I, the Dillon Law Group, in getting the Supreme Court to rule that uh, it's essential because the Constitution says it's essential. And you cannot be any more restrictive on churches and synagogues than you are regarding other apparently similar gatherings of people. Right. What do you think, this may be a side question, but what do you think the motivation was to keep churches, synagogues, mosques, places of worship closed when we are opening things like... In California, there were strip clubs that were open in the communities where churches were not allowed to be open. Uh, is there... Is there a sinister motivation, or is it just politicians doing what politicians do? That's a great question. I have, I know that in the New York area, there's a lot of, New York in particular, there's a lot of, and in fact, it's, it's more of it has come out in the last week, a lot of proof that a very specific targeting of synagogues in particular mm -hmm. was intended. Yeah. Now, I don't think it was intended because of a program of oppressing Jews, but I do think it was intended because of a perception which was not backed up by data that Orthodox Jews who attend synagogue very frequently and in very close quarters were doing more to spread the virus than right. people in strip clubs. Yeah, sure. I, um, <laughs> that was not actually backed up by data, but it, it was a perception and it was a political perception that the government felt very justified in acting on because it, it, it confirmed their own bias sure. against Orthodox Jews. In California, I don't have believe that there's that kind of evidence. I think there, there was, however, a I don't think it was accidental, especially when it was brought to the attention of the state and they doubled down, right. that they were already in violation of pre-existing orders of the Supreme Court. And I, th I think what happened there was um, a, an important political decision made to try and 
avoid a, living in a world where houses of worship were to be given the, the full respect that the First Amendment entitles them to. I think that was political and ideological. It's funny, I, I talk about the cultural impact of a lot of these things. This is what we talk about on this show. Um, a couple of days ago, my 12-year-old son, just out of the blue, he said, Dad, why, why do governments, <laughs> I don't know where you got that phrase, but why do governments um, dislike churches? Why do they try to stop churches from doing what we're supposed to do? And my answer to him was, I don't think that it's a, an issue with churches per se, but of groups of people who can uh, be taught specific things that may not fall in line with the government. But these are very important issues that we have to unpack and understand. And we have a generation of kids who are watching so much of this unfold right now. If we don't help them understand how to move forward, we're, we're in real trouble. You know, I, I think you're making a very important point. I, I just wonder whether, whether there might be more to it after all. In other words, I, I think you're right as far as it goes, that any group of people, and this is true of any command uh, form of government, any group of people that coalesces independently and demonstrates allegiance hmm. to a non to something other than the government is a threat to the government that is an axiom of certainly totalitarianism and to hmm. a large extent authoritarianism as well I would say here though that when you look at the kinds of people who are running things in states such as California and New York there is special attention being paid to churches and synagogues and other houses of worship because there is an ideological yeah. um, pushback. The, these days, people who are involved affirmatively in traditional religion are not democratic voters. Right. They are, they tend to either to, to, you know, to be independents or Republicans. That means that Democratic legislatures sure. and gem, dem, dem, Democratic governors don't want those people to have power because right. it's not only on the issue of lockdowns, on the issue of, on the issues of education and voter rights and everything down the line. It makes a difference. Many of our veterans feel they need to fight their battles alone. This self-isolation has led to the staggering statistic of more than 20 veterans taking their lives every day. The mission of Mighty Oaks is to eradicate the veteran suicide epidemic and help our warriors change their legacies. We've been able to help over 4,000 veterans and first responders by equipping them with the tools they need to live the lives they were created to live. Our faith-based, peer-to-peer approach has one of the highest success rates of any program available today, offering hope and understanding to those who need it most. By aligning their lives to biblical principles, these men and women are able to lead their families, their communities, and our nation. It's your generosity that can make a difference in the lives of the men and women who have fought for our country and our freedoms. Now that they're home, don't let them fight alone. Learn more at MightyOaksPrograms.org. It's interesting to hear, particularly um, you know, folks who made their living or have made their living or their reputation on YouTube and some of these other platforms, talk about these issues because 
it is an interesting place to be. Um, am I true to myself? Am I careful <laughs> with my platform? You know, and how do I navigate this? And I think we're seeing some of those folks go to other sites and other platforms where they don't have to be as careful, but they lose a lot of what they worked very hard to gain as well. Yeah, I mean, I I I, I am sort of holding my place in a number of those other platforms. And I'm sort of a um, I'm an ambassador for sure. Cloud Hub, which is I think a, a little bit different model. Getter, I think it's interesting how they what their approach has been. Parler doesn't really interest me. I do find that most of these places, which are essentially for conservative exiles, right, either either willing or otherwise, from the mainstream platforms aren't that interesting. I mean, it's a good place to network with your friends yeah, and to reinforce. Yeah. But as you say, what you've built, if, I mean, look, a couple of years ago, Twitter took action to reinforce the silo effect in order to have less conflict. And they succeeded. There is, I think, a lot less conflict. Mm. I have fewer bomb-throwing lefties <laughs> coming into my timeline and starting up with me. Right. Uh, if something goes really viral, then then that will happen. But it's less interesting than when I did. It's probably not bad how it's worked out. I think I think that the, the, the tweaks they made there were not bad. Do I like being shadow banned? I'm still shadow banned, notwithstanding the growth of my account. I was, my replies are still usually hidden. Yeah. And, you know, these are... First world problems, right? Very, correct. Very politely, correct. <laughs> I, I'm very happy with with the way this system works for me. And as you say, it's an interesting, it's a fascinating place to be. And for old guys like us, certainly <laughs> like me, whoever dreamed that you could reach so many people so regularly with your little opinions, it's fascinating. It's great. It's incredible. I I saw a meme the other day. Uh, it was on a running page on Instagram. It said, "I'm so thankful for Instagram. Otherwise, I'd have to text 500 of my friends to tell them I went for a run this morning." Uh, <laughs> it, it is. It's amazing the reach that these platforms have given to us, and you know, it's 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 important for us to figure out how to use them. And things continue to evolve, and we just need to learn to evolve with them. Um, as we conclude, I mean, this is a huge issue. But what are some maybe some good things that you're seeing related to the First Amendment? Um, maybe in the courts. Maybe culturally, you're seeing some things shift. Uh, and then, you know, there's some good things happening potentially. And what can our audience, what can people who are listening do to, um, I, I say get involved. I don't know what that means other than reinforce <laughs> and uh, promote worry, I've got an answer. the first I've got amendment. a good answer for you. Yep. The, the good thing that's ha that has happened over the last five or ten years and that's continuing to happen is that it's it's widely understood that the first, that, that the Supreme Court has become very, very, protective of the First Amendment to an extent greater than most of us would have even expected 30 or 40 mm. years ago. It is, I think, a little bit reluctant to make that big break that Justice Thomas hinted at of suggesting that perhaps Twitter and other social media platforms are should be treated like public forums and that's understandable. But I do think that cases such as the one I was involved in, the Slants case, uh, you know, a few years ago, yeah. the court made it very clear the government cannot cannot restrict free speech or, or freedom of worship, as the, as the court made clear finally when 
a, you know, a change happened last yeah. year on the court. Yeah. On the other hand, not on the other hand, the other answer to your question of what can we do? I, I have taken a little bit of flack for this, but I think the, the answer is still a good one. While on the one hand, most of the many of the most influential and important um, speakers on the internet, including Twitter in particular, are anonymous. The most effective speech is the speech you put your name. That's behind. good. That's good. If I know that I'm not alone, that there are real people behind mm, me, and that other people great. see that it's not merely bots, but other real people. That gives me the courage and gives my adversaries pause when considering how to react to what I have to say. And if people will, it's risky. There is all this doxing going on and people are scouring other people's social media accounts for things they've ever said. And I get that. I get the fear. I have lost to partnerships because of my commitment to free speech, regardless of who's doing the speaking. Not either I've lost or I've blown it for myself. That hmm. the interpretation is not really that important. <laughs> right. I've paid a price. Right. Right. I'm privileged, nonetheless, that I have essentially my own practice, and that I, I, I found myself partners with one of the really great legal figures uh, in our country at this time, Harmy Dillon, who sees things the same way that I do, and who welcomed me. Good. And gave me the opportunity to uh, establish an, an East Coast presence for, for, for her rapidly growing firm. So I do think I'm a little bit fortunate in that, in that regard, and I'm willing to take a shot from time to time. People who are working in less secure environments yeah. may not feel as comfortable doing that. But if you ask me what people can do, that's my answer. Stand up for what you believe in and do it under your name. And guess what? You're going to find out that you're not the only one on your block who feels the way that you do. And someone else will come out and someone else will come out. And all of a sudden, people will not be so readily gaslighted about what everybody right. knows to be true. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. What a great answer. Um, stand, stand up for what you believe in is, is kind of the conclusion we always come to on this show because that's the answer, right, is stand up and uh, let your voice be heard. Uh, Ron, where can people follow the work that you do, um, whether as an attorney or in you know a lot of these other endeavors that you're involved in? The best place to find me is on Twitter. It's like my name is spelled, at Ron Coleman, C-O-L-E-M-A-N. Uh, from there, you'll see me. All my, all my other content will come shining through to you. Yeah. The videos that I do, I do have a podcast. It's called Coleman Nation. Yeah. It's a pun on culmination, not on a nation full of Coleman. <laughs> um, if you search for on Coleman Lawyer Podcast, whenever you do a Google search for me, put in the word lawyer, you're going to get a very large, um, very muscular uh, bodybuilder and not me. <laughs> You'll instantly know you found the wrong guy. You'll find the wrong guy. Uh, so go first, so go Google that first is what you're saying before you go to Twitter. You can, go, you can Google it if you want to go straight for the videos, but it's all in my bio on Twitter at Ron Coleman. Yeah, thank that's you. awesome. I really do appreciate the chance to get to know you and your audience. Ron, thank you so much. Really, really appreciate it. Great conversation. My pleasure. Catch you later. Yes, sir. Another extremely helpful conversation, and I would encourage you, go and find Ron Coleman. Uh, he, he said start with his Twitter account uh, unless you want to Google and find the wrong guy. <laughs> There's a lot of videos there as well, uh, a lot of good content out there. Uh, but people like Ron are involved in this, and it's so important for us to understand 
the First Amendment and the implications on our lives. I wanna give you just a couple of thoughts for today's situation report. Number one, the reason the First Amendment is so important and something we need to spend time thinking about and talking about and understanding is because it impacts so many areas of our lives. It's not just about speech, but it's about the other areas that Ron uh, illuminated for us and talked about and explained. We must understand this because the First Amendment touches just about everything that we do. We need to understand it, what it is, what it is not. So much great explanation was given. Go back and listen to the episode. But we concluded with this central thought. I love that Ron brought it right back here. If you want to be involved with protecting our First Amendment rights, then the best way to do that is to stand up, to speak what we believe is important, to speak what we believe is true, and to do it in our name. Uh, There's nothing more powerful than someone that is willing to stand on their own two feet, to declare clearly what they believe, and to do it understanding. There may be repercussions, but this is who I am, and it's out here for everyone to see. So powerful. Powerful in your home, powerful in your, your community, and powerful really for us as Americans across the country. Wonderful, wonderful conversation. Please go listen to it again, share it out to others, and find Ron Coleman. Start with his Twitter account and move from there. Great to have you with me today. Looking forward to next week. We will talk to you later. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.